0: We're going to help you start closing the gap between what's in your head and your customer's reality. I always think about startups as a game of ping pong between you and your customer. You hit the ball to them, they hit it back and over and over. You put some stuff out in front of them, you see how they respond and you do it again. That feedback loop gets you closer and closer to a thing that can work, aligning you and your customer into the same reality. Your business then is a system that allows that feedback loop to scale, that helps you get more data points with less efforts so that you can make decisions about what your customer actually needs. If your system helps you to know more about your customer than competitors do, you have a really good shot at building something better than your competitors can. Whoever has the clearest picture of their customer before, during, and after the problem you're solving wins. Today, we're going to talk through one of the first scalable tools that'll help you get these critical data points. A landing page. You've certainly heard of landing pages. You've probably tried them in. If you're like most of the founders I speak with, you've done them wrong. And that is fine. Most people think about landing pages the wrong way. After this episode, you won't. The right way to use landing pages is to help you make the most important early decision, which customer should I start with? A great first customer will help you get momentum. And the most important characteristic of a great customer is that you can find them and convert them from a stranger to someone interested enough to give you an email in under six seconds. Everything else is downstream of that moment. If you can't find your customer and convert them, nothing else matters. So we need to start there. The product comes after the customer, not before. If you can't get customers' attention, your product won't matter. Landing pages vet your potential customers to help you find the ones worth your time. So that's what we're going to do. We'll go through a simple framework that'll help you build great landing pages that test your ideas and customers, and we'll talk through a few I made for the chronic pain startup. By the end of the pod, you'll be the type of entrepreneur that uses landing pages to learn things about your customers. You'll be someone with a process, a system, something working while you sleep. You'll use your landing page to tell the story of your customer. If I were in your crocs, I'd use this pod to get a couple of landing pages up and running by the weekend. We'll cover everything you need. But first, we've got to talk about circles. And to do that, we've got to go back in time. The year was 2013. Diamonds by Rihanna was the top song in the country, followed closely by that Owl City song you probably forgot about, and I definitely forgot about, but I listened to it and it still holds up, and I'm going to put it in the show notes. Avengers and Game of Thrones were the most popular movie and show because time is a flat circle, and BuzzFeed tells me that the top three trends were wedge sneakers, terrariums, and mason jars. And amidst all of those popular glass enclosures, I was running Find Your Lobster, a Facebook-driven dating app that started off as the only player in the space, only to quickly and forcefully be joined by Tinder and Hinge and about a thousand other apps. Things were not going great. I'd moved back from the city into my parents' house to save money, and our app's differentiator, which was diving deep into people's likes and interests and goals to make meaningful matches with a high probability of working out, didn't actually matter. My grandpa always said that to be a difference, a difference has to make a difference, and ours didn't. We'd send our users a couple of high-quality vetted matches each day, but as one user summed up quite nicely in a review, quote, I stopped using the app the second I realized you only get three matches a day. You can get 3,000 matches a day on Tinder. This ain't rocket science. Plus, we were charging money and those other apps were free. We thought that people would pay for quote, better matches, but no one believed we could do that because our messaging was pretty thin. What the heck does better matches actually mean? Am I really gonna pay more because someone else also likes the show Lost? No, and people didn't. And I wasn't delusional. I knew I wouldn't have paid either. But that was the strategy. It was how we'd built the product and the team and pitched our investors and raised money. And we were running out of cash. So changing seemed more daunting than sticking it out and dying a slow death, hoping for a miracle. The brain is funny that way. After a particularly rough investor update, my mentor, former boss, and current investor invited me to get burgers with him at a place near his home in New Jersey. As we sat down with our food, I blurted out how bad things really were. I was terrified. I was probably going to lose this person who meant so much to me's money. He listened, seemingly unfazed, shrugging his shoulders here and there, and then picked up his massive burger. You probably just need another circle, he said. And he took a giant bite. He kept talking as he chewed. Yeah, most problems with startups early on can be solved by adding another circle. I waited until he was done chewing to ask the next question. What are you talking about? I said. Before he answered, he took another bite. Damn it. Well, no one seems to think what you do is all that great, he said bluntly, chewing. That happens to most startups at some point early on, and it's really not that big of a deal. It's just a sign that you need to add a circle. You've got a good problem. People care about dating. You just need to focus on different people. Think about each potential customer as being made up of a bunch of circles. They're single. That's a circle. They're on Facebook. There's another. They live in New York City. They want to meet someone they like circles, any others? I thought for a second, there wasn't really any others. Nope. So he said, your customer is the intersection of all of those circles. And that intersection just isn't very unique or interesting. It's easy to compete with if you're another app and it's easy to ignore or forget if you're a customer and you've got no real expertise with these customers, he continued, you need another circle another characteristic that matters that'll make you significantly better for the person with that characteristic. Think about people who are successful using your app. Tell me about a few of them. I brought up maybe four or five people who'd been successful on the app. And right away we saw a glaring similarity. Nearly everyone who'd met someone on find your lobster was an ex college athlete. Both sides of the couple had played college sports, and this isn't as weird as it sounds. Our whole team at Find Your Lobster were ex-college athletes, so the early networks on the app skewed heavily towards that. My old boss took another bite. It sounds like one is a friend. Column. Yeah, I probably should, I responded. No, like now, my mentor said. Unspeaker, I've got a question I want to ask. So we called my friend who'd used Find Your Lobster to find his new girlfriend. Hey, my boss said after a pleasantry and explanation for the odd call. Why was find your lobster better for you than Tinder? My friend thought for a second then answered. Well, I always wanted to date another high level athlete and the filter lets you say you like people who were college athletes. Can't do that on Tinder. We got off the phone. Well, there's a possible circle, my boss said. Build out a landing page, he said, for a dating app that helps ex-college athletes meet other ex-college athletes and only other ex-college athletes, along with all the other circles you've already got, and send it to that guy. Let's see what he says. A day later, I had. He responded, thinking that I'd actually shifted the business to only helping ex-college athletes, and he was pumped. Amazing, he said. Great move. I just forwarded it to all my teammates from college and my high school teammates that played in college. They are going to love it. A bunch of people already responded saying that they'd signed up for the waitlist on your site. Within a week, we had more people signed up to that waitlist than we had Find Your Lobster users. We'd added a circle. Landing pages test your circles. They give you a space to test out different combinations of circles you've got in your potential customer base on a bunch of different pages and get some context as to how they perform. They give you accountability. If you build a landing page for a specific person and that specific person isn't interested, that is a data point. Most importantly, unlike with me and Find Your Lobster, you can do this before you've made the mistake of targeting the wrong customer. You can lead with this to make sure that when you do build something, people are excited about it. This all happens pre-product. Today, we'll talk about building landing pages fast. We'll call them OPLPs, one-person landing pages, and you'll get really good with them. They're the first part of the system that'll scale and give you data and help you make the big decision, which customer is worth your time. Some episodes of idea to Startup are story time, kick up your feet and listen. This one is meant to spur ideas at the end of it. I hope you're motivated and ready to get something up and out today is about executing, so let's do it after a little smooth jazz. If you've got a startup idea and a full-time job and want to test out the former before you leave the latter, come and work with us. Apply at gettacklebox.com. Over 400 startups have tested and built ideas through our program and those businesses are now collectively worth over a billion dollars. Our program helps you prioritize and execute and our members and me and the team keep you accountable and give you feedback along the way. Come build with us at gettacklebox.com. Back to it. Emotion, logistics, urgency, and the one-person landing page. The one-person landing page is exactly what it sounds like. It's a landing page for one person. This is a bit counterintuitive because generally people make landing pages or websites so that they can attract lots of different people, but that's not the way to start. The way we start is by picking someone we've spoken with, someone we're sure would be a great customer, someone we're compelled to help, hopefully someone we've got some unique knowledge on already, and building a landing page just for them. One Tacklebox member described it as a love letter to this customer, which I don't know if I totally agree with, but it's definitely like an email at least. In fairness, I've never really understood that phrase. Someone called You've Got Mail a love letter to the Upper West Side, and I'm pretty sure it's just a movie about Fox Books and the shop around the corner and the two greatest rom-com actors of our time. But what do I know? Anyway, the one-person landing page, or OPLP as we call it for short, will give us a lot of data. The first thing we'll do after we make it is show it to the person we've made it for, without telling them that we made it for them. We'll get on a Zoom call, we'll watch them react to it live. What do they think? Is it compelling? If they aren't interested, how the heck are we going to get anyone else interested? That is our first test. Then we'll put it in channels where we think we'll find more people exactly like this person to see if there are more people like them with the same combination of circles compelled by the same things. The strategy for the contents of the landing page is driven by a framework called ELU or emotion logistics and urgency. There's a guy named Daniel Priestley who I really like. I'll pop some of his stuff in the show notes. He's the first person I've heard lay out the emotion logistics urgency framework for getting someone to do something, and I think it's a great skeleton for a landing page. You hook customers with emotion. You show how the logistics won't take them far out of their existing structure or path or create any cognitive overhead. And then you create urgency with your wedge, the thing we talked about last week, something you can do to create value immediately. If your page has all three, you're in great shape. If you don't know any of the three, go back to the subject of your OPLP and learn more. We're going to go through each piece of the ELU, and then we're going to do it with the chronic pain startup. We'll start with emotion. You'll have about six seconds to build enough trust with a customer to buy yourself another six seconds. We've talked about the components of trust in the past. Trust is a seesaw with specificity on one side and traction on the other. If I see a bunch of my friends using a product and being successful with it, even if it doesn't seem all that relevant to any problem that I have, I still might buy it. This is how everyone ended up with an air fryer they've never used. That is the traction side of the seesaw. The other side is specificity. And it's the reason I have a shirt from a company that put up an ad I saw somewhere once that said, quote, you're 6'5 and thin. An XL is too short, a double XL is too wide. We made a shirt that'll fit you perfectly. I almost broke my finger purchasing it. Specificity builds trust in the absence of traction. I have a problem I thought was a secret. I'm a tall, lanky, thin guy. But this company's messaging told me that it wasn't a secret. They were in on it the whole time. And along with a few other circles, style, price point, fabric, the specificity of their messaging got me to trust them and buy a shirt. Since you're not going to have traction, you're going to have to lean into this type of specificity to build initial trust. That is where the unique circle comes in. People love being chosen and people love being listened to, and specificity indicates to your customer that you've done both. The other side of emotion is understanding status level jumps. Your customer is at point A, and they're trying to get to point B. The way to build trust is to describe point A with a lot of detail, to describe point B with even more detail, and then tell your customer you're going to help them get from one to the other. Understanding all the pieces of the story they're telling themselves builds an enormous amount of trust. For example, if I was making the tall guy shirts, I might say something like, quote, you want to wear these collared short sleeved button down shirts your friends all wear to the beach, but every one you've bought ends up looking like a belly shirt. Describing a unique problem makes people feel seen. The next pillar of an effective landing page is logistics. Now, you shouldn't have a product at this stage, but you will understand your customer's process and pain points around the problem you're solving. Especially since this is a one-person landing page, you really just need to describe how the customer you're building the page for solves the problem now and promise you won't take them one step out of that flow. You won't create any cognitive overhead. You won't break their inertia. For example, one of my frustrations with buying nice clothes is that I can never wash them because I'm terrified they're going to shrink and turn into that aforementioned belly shirt. So logistics might call that out. Throw these shirts in the dryer on hot with no fear. They'll still go past your waist. People make decisions based on emotion, but the logistics can support that emotion. You're giving customers the rationale for buying something they're already emotional about. It is a potent duo. Finally, urgency. Plenty of people build products that other people want. Few are able to convert those people into customers. The answer is urgency. There are very few scenarios where people need to buy anything. Your job is to look for those scenarios. Now, again, for the landing pages we're building, you're not going to have a product yet. So urgency is about providing value in exchange for someone's email. And the way to do that is through solving a wedge problem. So again, with the t-shirts, I might say something like, quote, give us your measurements and we'll tell you brands of hoodies and t-shirts that'll fit your frame. We collect the customer's email, ask a few questions, then send out a few brand options. Then we have their email, we can follow up, and we're confident that they're interested in the problem we're solving. And we've built a little trust. So the flow is straightforward. First, pick a customer you've spoken with and know well and make them a landing page. Second, use what you know about them to create a unique circle or two and lean into the unique intersection to create emotion. You understand their distinct unsolved problem and where they'll be once they solve that problem. Three, lean into their current logistics to show that they won't need any big changes. This is big for B2B products with established systems and workflows. Four, create urgency through a wedge product that they'll get value from for providing their email immediately. And five, repeat for three, four, five, seven customers with unique circles you'd like to test get some context between the landing pages, see which performed best. Now, let's do it. The OPLP for Chronic Pain. I watched an interview once with a writer from The Simpsons, and the person doing the interviewing was clearly in awe of how many episodes this writer had cranked out. It was something like 20 seasons with 24 episodes per season. How do you do it, they asked. Well, the guy responded, The key is that writing is really hard and editing is much easier. So my process is to write out a draft as fast as humanly possible. When I reach a hole in the plot, I just skip it. When there's dialogue, I write placeholders. I rush to get the draft done because then I have a thing that I can work on. A blank page is scary. A crappy draft I can edit is not. Landing pages are emotional They're scary. They're usually the first representation of your business that you're going to put out into the world and you want them to look good. The key is to fly through the first iteration so that you can start to edit. It's also important to realize that the business is going to change so much from where you start to where you end up and your first customers don't need to have something perfect in front of them. It's actually better if they don't. Most founders never make it to the landing page. They misunderstand that the point isn't to get something out that's perfect is to get anything out because the interaction with customers is what's going to improve it. I think a landing page is starting like a hunk of wood. Each pass we're whittling away until we have something useful, like a spoon. This framework will make it easy to do that fast. So here we go. For the chronic pain idea I'm testing out, if you haven't listened to a few previous episodes, the basic idea is that a huge percentage of people have chronic pain. And I believe that most of those people can be fixed. I've run a bunch of interviews. A few things, circles, keep popping up. One is scoliosis. Lots of people either have or had scoliosis, so they tell me that their chronic pain isn't like other people's and it can't be treated that way. Their spine pushes on their nerves and creates all sorts of issues. A few have had surgery, others have considered it. Most had bad chronic pain. This was a really interesting circle, so let's make a landing page for it. There was a man I interviewed who we're going to make the page for. We'll call him Paul, even though that's not his real name. Paul had scoliosis and he has chronic back pain and it gives him headaches. He used to be really active triathlons, marathons. He was a college athlete, but he no longer is as the chronic pain has gotten too bad. He still sees himself as an athlete and hopes one day to get back to doing everything he did before. So Paul is the subject of our OP LP. The unique circles, aside from having chronic pain and being motivated to solve for it, are scoliosis and the identity of being an athlete that's being taken away. For today's test, we'll use Unbounce as our landing page builder. It's fine, they're all pretty good. Just use whatever you think has the shallowest learning curve and will let you move fast. Unbounce is one I've used before, so it's good. I grabbed a generic template, one with a header, a subheader, three blocks of text, and a call to action. I might not need all of the blocks. I might delete some, but this type of template is a good one to start with. The first thing they ask for is a company name or logo. Damn. I hadn't thought of a name. Come on, punny name. Come on, punny name. Got it. I stand corrected. Get it? Like your back is fixed now and you're standing. Editor's note that took me three days to think of. Moving on. Don't need a logo. Just bold font for our name. I stand corrected. As you might have noticed, don't sweat the name. You'll change it five more times easily. Now we get to the big first headline, the H1. This is our chance to lean into emotions, to lean into a circle. I think of the H1, the header of the site, similar to how I think of a book title. The most popular business books are the ones where the title describes the outcome the reader hopes to get after reading the book, the place the book is going to drop them off. So, The One Person Million Dollar Startup, or the book I'm reading now, How Not to Die. I'd love to not do that. Your H1 is going to do the same. It's going to describe the outcome with a healthy dash of the unique circle. I like writing out a bunch of options, but the one I landed on, at least for a test, was this. Quote, Overcome chronic pain stemming from scoliosis so that you can get active again. I think this will resonate with Paul, but as I read it over, I'm not sure it's specific enough. This is something I always do. After you write something into a landing page, think, what would this look like if I made it 25% more specific to the person I'm building the OPLP for? So I ended up here. Solve your scoliosis-driven chronic pain and get back to being an athlete. I think he more envisions himself as an athlete. I think that is his point B. I think that messaging will make it more emotional. The H2, the line under the H1, should balance out the emotion with some logistics. The big piece of logistics for this customer is that they think normal therapy for normal chronic pain won't work. So, here's my H2. We help people get over the specific types of chronic pain scoliosis creates without surgery or pharmaceuticals. Our goal is to get you playing basketball, running triathlons, and sitting through a full day of work without pain again. This was a huge recurring theme from interviews, both from Paul and from other people. They wanted to be active, they didn't want surgery or pharmaceuticals, and they had horrible pain throughout the day when they sat at a desk. Now, for the sake of speed, I think I'm going to delete the other text boxes and jump straight to the call to action. Feel free to do this. I was stumped on them, and I don't think they matter that much anyway. So for the urgency bit, the wedge, what value can I provide Paul that he'd jump at? During the interview, we talked a lot about his ergonomic desk setup. He mentioned a few times that he knows he should have a stand-up desk or a treadmill desk, but he hasn't figured it out yet. Maybe that can be the hook. So here's the attempted wedge. Quote, get a workplace audit for ergonomics for people with scoliosis. Answer a few questions about your setup and we'll give you suggestions on how to reduce pain while you work. I used a product called SCORE, which I'll pop in the show notes let lets you set up a quick survey, ask a few questions, then deliver the customer an answer. It collects emails up front so you can follow up and see who's interested. It's basically a vetting tool. I don't have any images or design, and I don't think I need to. Not yet. The OPLP draft one is done, and it took me less than 15 minutes. Now I need to get it in front of Paul and hear exactly what he thinks. Then I'll edit it, push it into a few channels to see if I can find more people like Paul get more feedback, edit it again, whittle down the spoon. Whenever I review the OPLP, as I said before, I always ask one question. How can I make this 25% more about the subject? What specificity could I add to make sure the person is going to be interested? What makes for a more compelling OPLP? System and the end. The goal with these is to build a bunch of them. To swap out the subject of the OPLP and the circles that make up the target. Getting them done and getting feedback will break down the preciousness of this part of the process. Feedback has to be the goal. We need to get stuff out into the real world. There's a ton more we can do, and over at Tacklebox with our members, we do that stuff, but this should at least get you started. Here are the steps add a circle, build a one person landing page. Follow the emotion logistics urgency framework, do it all fast, recognizing that each iteration is slicing the wood away until you end up with that useful spoon and listen to that owl city song fireflies. It's got 757 million listens on Spotify. And frankly, that's not enough. And after some digging, it looks like maybe in 2013, that guy dated Taylor Swift. Talk about on top of the world, planet earth turns slowly indeed. This was the Idea to Start a Podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. If you have an idea and a full-time job, head to gettacklebox.com and we'll go through all the early steps with you. Apply and we can be working together in 72 hours. Have a great week.